If you look at your bulletin outline, the first point is that we talk about Christ as Creator and Savior is that Adam was Jesus' perfect work. In theology, we sometimes departmentalize the work of the Trinity and ascribe different roles and functions to the three persons of the Godhead. When we talk about creation, usually, usually our thought goes to the earth, the planets, the stars, the vegetable, the animal kingdom, even the creation of man, and the rule of the universe after creation, we that attribute that in our thinking to God the Father. I mean, that's the way we normally think. Offering up of an atoning sacrifice sufficient to appease the wrath of God for Adam's sin and that of the, his posterity, that we attribute to Jesus, God's Son, and we say that is his work, that's his role. He has a cross work to do. So we got the Father as Creator and Jesus as the Savior. And then the application of that atoning work, the creation of a new heart in men, the conviction of sin, the granting of repentance and faith to dead hearts, we attribute to And so we departmentalize Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They each have their roles to do. And these departmentalizations are a convenient way for us to sort out the role that each person of the Godhead plays in the human experience. But these same departmentalizations are patently false. They are false because they endeavor to pigeonhole the work of the Trinity into neatly packages, neat job descriptions, that allow no room for the crossover functionality of the Godhead which Jesus taught. Let me give you some statements by Christ. He says in John 14, verse 10, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Kind of shows a blend, doesn't it, in terms of cooperative effort. Or again in John 10, verse 38, he says, If I do it even though you do not believe me, he's talking to the, the Jewish people, even if you do not believe me, believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. John 10, verse 38. So you, you're seeing harmony here. Cooperative effort. Or again in John 5, verse 19, Jesus gave them this answer, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. So we've got duplication here, and we've got harmony. And then this marvelous conversation with Philip, and this is the night of Jesus' betrayal and crucifixion. And he says to the whole group of disciples, If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? even after I had been among you such a long time? 
Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words that I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing His work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. John 14, verse 7 through 11. And then we read this text this morning from Colossians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul says, In Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. Colossians 2, verse 9 and 10. No more is this so clearly apparent than in the creation account. Our text this morning, Colossians 1, 15 and following, tells us of Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation, for by him all things were created, things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, so he's not part of creation, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Colossians 1, 15 through 19. You're all familiar with the Genesis account of creation. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And He separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness He called night. And there was evening. And there was morning. The first day. Genesis 1, 1 through 5. We're all familiar with that account. But are you familiar with John's interpretation of the creation account. Here it is. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. Now this is more, this is more than John's opinion on how creation came about. He is giving the official interpretation, if you please, of the Genesis account, which allows for one conclusion, and that is that at creation's dawn, Jesus was the active agent through whom the universe came into existence. Six times 
in the creation account, Moses records these words, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God said, Let there be an expanse between the waters to separate water from water. And God said, Let the waters be gathered to one place and the dry ground appear. And God said, and God said, and God said, six times over. Well, let me say that Jesus was that said word through whom all things were made and apart from whom nothing has been made. John 1, verse 3 again. This was no less true concerning the creation of Adam. Of Jesus, we read in him was life. And that life was the light of men. John 1 verse 4. And that's reminiscent of Moses' account. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Genesis 2 and verse 7. Adam's lungs were first inflated with Jesus' breath. What is more, that intimate detail of creation expressed by Moses. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Genesis 1 verse 27. What image would, be, would that be seeing that even in our child's catechism we define God the Father in these terms. God is the Spirit and has not a body like men. Answer to question number nine. The writer of Hebrews answers God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through, him, through whom also He made the worlds, who, being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word, of his power. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and following. Such an image of God present at Eden explains Moses' account that Adam and Eve could recognize, and I'm reading scripture, the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Genesis 3, verse 8. The spirit being makes no sound as it moves from one location to another, but the embodied Christ makes noise as he walks through the forests and the woods just like anyone. And these manifestations of God in bodily form in the Old Testament are known in theology as Christophanies, pre-birth appearances of Christ. If you think the birth of Jesus through Mary in Bethlehem was the beginning of Jesus, you're wrong. As God's Son, He has always existed prior to creation. And as we're seeing here, part of creation. There are many of these Christophanies in Scripture. The mysterious visitor to Abraham under the oaks of Mamre, Jesus Christ. The God-man that Jacob wrestled with until dawn, Jesus Christ who changed his name from Jacob, you liar and deceiver, to Israel, the Prince of God. Reminiscent 
predictive of, what Christ can do to any heart. He can take a liar and a deceiver and make him or her the Prince of God. The revelation to Manoah's wife of the coming birth of Samson. There are many, many of these Christophanies in the Old Testament. And yet, and yet, none is more significant and more dramatic than this account of creation in Genesis. Why? Because it indicates that the one who created Adam and breathed life into his body of lifeless clay, the one who placed him in the garden, the one who formed Eve by the extraction of Adam's rib and brought her to him, thus providing him with a lover and a wife as well as a paradise kingdom to enjoy, was none other than Jesus Christ. Adam was Jesus' perfect handiwork in a pristine world that was free from sin and decay. What a Savior, creator of all that there is. So, secondly, when Adam sinned, he sinned against Christ, the Creator. The fall of Adam at the prompting of Satan is reminiscent of the devil's own rebellion against Christ due to his inordinate ambition to be like God. Let me read it for you. How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth. You who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of the assembly. On the utmost heights of the sacred mountain, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit, and those who see, see you will stare at you and they will ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? Isaiah 14, verse 12 through 16. Ezekiel adds more detail. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. You were the model of perfection. Full of wisdom, perfect in beauty, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, beryl. Your settings and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub for a so I ordained you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. And through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. And so I drove you in disgrace from the mountain of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And so I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you, a spectacle of you before kings. Ezekiel 28, verse 12 through 17. 
Notice here that twice in this text, twice in Ezekiel's text, the prophet says of this anointed cherub that he was created. Created. And he was blameless on the day that he was created. Satan was, may I say, Satan is a created being who had visions of grandeur. It was a creature attempting a coup against God so that he might become the Most High. His pride got the best of him and he could not abide the reality that Jesus was the bright and morning star. Revelation 22 verse 16 that outshone his own dull illumination by comparison. So, so, when we come to Adam and Eve in the garden, he again postulated his own fantasy as plausible for them. Here it is. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, that is the forbidden tree, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Genesis 3, verse 4 and 5. The devil's sin of pride, his desire to outbest Christ Jesus, God's Son, was repeated in Adam and Eve. The creature asserting himself above his creator. Pride was the first sin, and it is the continuing sin, and it will be the final sin that damns people to hell. We are on the fast track to perdition, riding on the schemes of the evil one, and all because he could not abide his position as a creature. As a creature under the authority of Christ, the Creator. How damning and sinister human pride is. It is subtle, but it is deadly. It feeds you the lie that you have to answer to no one. It puffs you up and convinces you that every man is master of his own destiny. You need not believe God's warning that you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Genesis 2, verse 17. You are convinced that Satan is right, that you can become your own God, making your own decisions of what is right and what is wrong, and what you may or may not do. And that's our race. Adam sinned against Christ as Creator, and you do the same pride of your heart. Christ has every right to do to you as he did with Satan. But you are brought down to the grave, he says, to the depths of the pit. Those who see you stare at you and they ponder your fate. Is this the man who shook the earth and made kingdoms tremble? Isaiah 14, verse 16. Only I would say that Satan's fate is worse than that. We read in the scripture, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tor tormented day and night forever and ever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it. And earth and the sky fled from his presence. And there was no place for them. 
And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged accordingly to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it. And death and hell gave up the dead that were in them. And each person, see how personal this is? Each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of the fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. Revelation 20, verse 10 through 14. All of us are going to die the first death, unless Christ comes before. <clears throat> but let me tell you something. You don't want to die the second death. For that is for eternity, and there is no relenting. That is Christ's work as Creator. But guess what? The Creator, and that's the second point in our outline, is the Savior. The curse is not the end. When Adam and Eve sinned, immediately they died spiritually towards God, eventually physically. They sold Jesus out for less than 30 pieces of silver, they believed the liar and bought into his proud desires to become God. And so curses followed. God speaking to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Genesis three sixteen through 19 Coming to the New Testament, Paul explains the universal sweep of Adam's sin. Here it is. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all men because all sinned. Death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one that's coming. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. By the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Sin reigned in death. Romans 5, verse 12 and following. That is the sweeping consequence of Adam's sin. There is not a person on earth, dead or living, who is not a recipient of Adam's evil nature and therefore of Adam's curse. And unlike the evolutionists of our day who believe in survival of the fittest and that the survivor is often on the top of the food chain because he has the ability to kill his rival, God indicates in Genesis here that death had no part of the original creation. Rather, Paul says, Death came, death came to all men through Adam's sin. 
Eden was not a dog-eat-dog jungle, but a pristine paradise where man and beast lived in perfect harmony without fear and without danger. And we're moving towards that. There's texts in Isaiah that talk about the lion is going to lay down with the lamb and a child is going to play on the cobra or the, the uh, deadly snakes on his lair and not worry about getting bit. That day is coming. But sin made ugly what God had made beautiful. Sin always does this. It distorts and ruins what could be and would be if God's righteousness reigns supreme. And we are moving towards that in and through the power of Christ, the Creator. Peter to the Jews on the day of Pentecost said, Repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that He may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as He promised long ago through His holy prophets. Acts 3, 19-21. There's a restoration day that's coming, and Christ is waiting in glory for that day to come. Restoration is even closer when you think about our vantage point in history. It's closer to us. But for now, the curse remains. Paul explains, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. That's those curses. But not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Romans 8, verse 19 through 23. So creation is waiting and God's people are waiting. And what are, what are they waiting for? They're waiting for the return of Christ and the restoration of all things. This pain, this ongoing groaning, the frustrations, the impatience, the, the bondage to decay, which creation now experiences will be eliminated, but not by Greenpeace, not by the Environmental Protection Agency, not by reduction in industrial gases and emissions that will accelerate paradise return. No, the whole creation is waiting Jesus' restoration of all things. Anything man touches, he pollutes. Even when he thinks his motives are good, they're not. The curse is not the end, however except for all who refuse the rule of Christ as Creator and Savior. Jesus in the garden issued one more curse. Cursed the woman, cursed Adam the man. He issued one more curse and with it a promise. To the serpent, that is Satan, the instigator of Adam's rebellion, God said, Because you have done this, cursed are you 
above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity or hatred between you and the woman and between your offspring or seed and hers. He will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The battle's not over. It rages on. There is no doubt to the outcome. John in the Revelation paints the scene for us. And this is what he writes. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Revelation 12 verse 9. In other words, <laughs> there was no ascending to the throne of God as he planned and boasted. There was no overpowering the Most High as he boasted. There was no victory in his proud boast at all. Christ said, time for you to go. You are out of here. And he was hurled out of heaven, excommunicated, as it were, from his position as the anointed cherub. Instead, John heard this proclamation from heaven's shore. And he writes it down. Then I heard a voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. For the accuser of our brothers who accuses them before God day and night has been hurled down. They overcame Him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Revelation 12, verse 10, 11. Even persecution could not cause Christ's people to desert Him. And so the curse is not the end. Secondly, the seed of the woman wins. Satan was told in no uncertain terms that there would be a day of reckoning despite his seeming success. He had lied to Eve. She was deceived. The scripture says that she was deceived. He had used Eve to entice Adam to follow her lead, and he did. Both of them fell prey to Satan's temptation and lies. They renounced God. They opted for their own sinful choice. And as a result, each of the sexes died. They died spiritually that day. And each of them was cursed. And life went from being beautiful to being horrible. Goodness turned to bad. Righteousness was replaced by evil. And the entire human race reaped what Adam and Eve had sown and has been reaping that ever since. The wages of sin is death. So we die. That's why we die, by the way. But, but, Embedded within the curse that Jesus pronounced on Satan, the Creator made this promise about the seed of the woman that was to come. And it's five little words. He will crush your head. 
We all know that the only way to kill a snake is to crush its head. If you don't do that, a tailless snake will still be able to bite you with its deadly fangs. But observe, this is a personal battle. Jesus admits of Satan, you will strike his heel. Speaking of the Christ, no doubt referring to all of the intrigue, the lies, the manipulation of the leaders in Jesus' day who plotted his crucifixion and were successful in implementing that crucifixion. Peter said it, This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him onto the cross. Acts 2, verse 23. Strike one for the devil, or ray for the devil. He lashed out with his fangs and he caught Jesus in the heel. And the cross was meant to be the end of it all. Jesus dead. Satan wins. But there's the other part of the promise. He, the seed of the woman, will crush your head. It's personal. It wasn't a stone, it wasn't a club taken to the serpent's head, but the very heel of the Creator, Savior. It's personal. And while there was pain and suffering to the cross, the cross was not the end of Christ. But it was the end of the serpent's damning influence on the race. Let me read it for you. It's also in Colossians, the next chapter. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. And this stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it, to the cross and next phrase and having disarmed the powers and the authorities he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them by the cross Colossians 2 13 through 15 the cross had this twofold Mission and work, the cross paid the debt of sin for all who trust in Jesus. And at the same time, it is the final nail in Satan's coffin because the seed of the woman did him in. Praise God. Eve is exonerated. Adam named her Eve, the scripture says, because... He understood and believed what Jesus said, that she would become the mother of all the living. Genesis 3, verse 20. Proof of his faith in God's promise. And Paul writes it this way. When the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under the law, so 
that he might redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. The deceived woman has defeated the deceiver. The Creator has redeemed back His lost people. Again, the scripture says, when the dragon saw that he had been hurled down to the earth, he pursued the woman who gave birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she could be taken care of for a time and time and half time, that's three and a half years, out of the serpent's reach. And then from his mouth the serpent spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to make war against the rest of her offspring, those who obey God's commands and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Couldn't defeat Christ. The woman sees, so he comes after us. Revelation 12, 13 through 17. Jesus as creator is also Savior. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps. No help for Satan. No help for the fallen angels. No help for the rebels that were thrown out of heaven. It is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Hebrews 2, 14-17 creator came back among his creation as one of us without sin as he's called the last Adam because of that first Adam pristine creation until he fell into sin the last Adam's come back and says I got a new race that I'm leading into paradise and this time, there will be no bruising of my heel. The work of Jesus is the Creator winning back His lost people. And so Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to Himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. 
And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5. Reconciliation has to do with people that are estranged from each other because there's been a major tiff that's taken place. When Adam and Eve sinned against God, they plunged the entire race into hostility towards God. Now creature was fighting creator. And along comes Christ and becomes part of our humanity. You can read about it in specifics in Philippians 2. And he says, I will reconcile creation back to me. I will do the work necessary to do that. There will be a shaking of hands and a unity once again. And that's great news, folks. That is the good news of the gospel. Coming to Christ for repentance and faith ends the hostility with the Creator. Let me read it for you. Paul says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that's because the offended Creator has made peace through His cross. I hope you know Him this morning. hope you understand the great significance that the Creator has come back and redeemed His creation. It isn't God the Father that you're going to have to answer to someday. Jesus says in John 5, The Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment into the hands of the Son, so that all may honor me like they honor Him. Good thing for Jews to hear, but it's a great thing for us to hear as well. Paul writes, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of how we have lived here on the earth. Again, Paul writes, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It brings God the Father glory when He sees you and me honoring His Son, who is the Creator and the Savior of sinners. You are at a pivot point in your life if you don't know Christ. You will one day meet Him. You will one day stand before His throne. You will one day have the books open. Looking for your name in the book of life. Is it there? Is it there? If not, then you share the dragon's fate, which is the lake of fire. Christ has come to rescue His creation and bring it back. I hope you're going to be part of that rescue group. Lord, grant faith and repentance this day to our hearts. May we see in Jesus not simply Savior, but the Creator actually pursuing the lost creation. And He is going to have a large constituency. The Bible says a, a number that no one can count. That can, they, they can't even reach the count level. 
So many, it's not just a few people that are going to be saved, but it's many. It's, it's an innumerable host, humanly speaking. But that being said, it's personal. Just as the battle raged between you, O Lord, and Satan, and you crushed his head and defeated what he had accomplished or tried to accomplish at Eden and in his own rebellion. So, Lord, it's personal for each one of us sitting here. Are we reconciled to Christ, the Creator? Have we come to Christ as our Savior? Do we believe that we need His shed blood poured upon us? We need His atoning work. We need His resurrection so that we can become this new creature. The old creature is ugly. It's sinful. It's hostile. It's bitter. It fights God. Oh Lord, grant us that new nature that only your Holy Spirit can do. May you do this firstly and foremost for your glory. It is right that the creatures that you created should worship you, appreciate you, love you. And when we don't, it is sin that we don't. Remove our sin because, Lord, we love it. We love the place where we live. We love the pleasures of this life which are sinful. We disdain righteousness. We're just like Adam doing our own thing. But Lord, bring us out of ourselves. Bring us to the salvation which is only found in you. For your glory, for our good, we pray these things. Amen.